Welcome to We Talk Banking and Finance from Walkers, where every fortnight we talk to colleagues and peers about the latest trends in offshore finance. So welcome to the second podcast in the Walkers We Talk Banking and Finance series. I'm Julia Kepi, Senior Counsel in the Jersey Banking Team and co-hosting today alongside my colleague, Alice White, an associate in the team. Today, we are going to be discussing the longest standing hot topic around, ESG. But before we do, Alice, what has caught your eye recently in the news? So Julia, on our last episode, you had the pleasure of speaking with Mo Sande of Oak North Bank. So keeping on that theme, I wanted to briefly talk about the increasing role that we're seeing some of the challenger banks play in the market. Challenger bank lending was up 26% this year and reached a record high of $143 billion during COVID. BDO has attributed that to the rise of the additional lending by Challenger Bank's two businesses, 3C Bills, which is something I'm sure you'll agree, Julia, has kept us very busy this summer. I certainly can. So for me, it is something to keep a close eye on and follow the developments on. Now we're coming out of the COVID era as such and starting to see some economic recovery it'll be really interesting to see what opportunities arise for challenger banks going forwards what about you Julia what have you been seeing for me I think it's the recent pickup in the LIBOR Sonia amendments to loan agreements there has been a, always been a steady flow since we knew the changes were coming in but it really feels like it's picked up in the last month or two there also seems to be a feeling amongst the onshore firms and banks that we're speaking to that sales of non-performing loans may start to pick up as well. For example, any with exposure to struggling businesses or highly leveraged businesses such as Evergrande. One to watch, I think. But anyway, to today's podcast. ESG is still absolutely everywhere, impacting investment decisions and increasingly present in the terms of loan agreements and bond issuances. The numbers here are staggering. It has been reported by the Association for Financial Markets in Europe that ESG bond and loan issuances increased 58.8% in 2020 to €389 billion from €245 billion in 2019. Global funds with an ESG target accumulated $22,731 billion in quarter four of 2020 in total assets. I can't quite get my head around that number. Anyway, alongside this, there is, of course, a legislative agenda with the new EU regulations, among others, coming into play and various pieces of industry guidance being published from the LMA, APLMA and LSTA. And more recently, the European Commission has proposed a new EU green bond standard. As all of our listeners will be very well aware, this topic is extremely well covered, including by Walkers in our investment trends piece that we recently published. And to continue this theme, Alice, who are Walkers speaking to today? On today's podcast, we're very excited to be speaking to Bradley Davidson, the ESG lead at RBS International. Welcome, Bradley. How are you today? Hi, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Doing very well, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, great, thanks. So, Bradley, RBS International have been offering ESG and sustainability linked products for some time now, but your role is really fairly new, not only to RBS International, but really to the market. Could you tell us a bit more about your role and how RBS International are really trying to change the way they and their clients are doing business or what do they hope to achieve? Yeah, of course. So so as you said, um, I was recently appointed as ESG lead for RBS International and I head up the newly created 
ESG strategy team at the bank. The creation of this team, I think, really underscores our commitment to delivering long-term value through ESG and ultimately being a sustainable banking partner for our customers in, in every sense of the word. Our ambition stretches further than the deals that we execute. And NatWest Group's purpose-led strategy outlines three key focus areas, so climate, enterprise, and learning, where we believe that our business can generate the greatest value for our colleagues, our customers, and our communities. Um, my team are responsible for setting RBS International's climate strategy, so helping to deliver NatWest Group's ambitious targets, which include a commitment to become carbon positive by 2025 and halving our finance emissions by 2030. Alongside that, we're proud to be a local bank that supports our local jurisdictions, so partnerships are key to this strategy. And some of the work that I enjoy the most is speaking to local stakeholders to share insights and explore opportunities to collaborate. And then finally, the other half of my role really is engaging with our customers to understand their unique challenges across a range of ESG factors and really working with them to develop innovative solutions that support their own ambitions. It's been brilliant to see our customers drive ESG and have the appetite to come with us on this journey. So as I'm sure you can hear, it's a pretty wide remit. There's a lot of great work underway, but all really positive and, and we're glad to see that our customers are supportive. That sounds great, Bradley. It sounds like it's very much more than just the products you're offering, but almost an education piece, like you're going out to the clients and discussing all the factors and areas surrounding ESG and what their needs are and how you can support them. Would that be right? Something fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. So as a bank, we're in a really fortunate position to interact with a range of customers. And we recognize our responsibility to make those sustainable lending decisions, but also to use our influence and knowledge to support the transition to a more sustainable economy. We believe ultimately that if our customers and communities succeed, then so will we. That has a number of a number of areas that cooperate within that. And we don't really, within the market, we're seeing a kind of siloed between internal and external approaches for ESG. And, and we don't do that. We really look at it as a holistic approach. Um, for our customers, we're here to serve them. So we're making it a priority to really listen and develop propositions that they want and that meet their needs. Uh, for our funds customers, that's products, as you said, like sustainability-linked loans or green loans, where we can incentivize those ESG metrics. But interestingly, for our personal customers, we're exploring products that incentivize positive changes whilst allowing our customers to really align their beliefs with their finances. And I think that's incredibly powerful. I know as an individual, that's motivating to me, and, and we hope it will be positive when we can share more with our customers. You mentioned kind of education there in terms of external. And Julia, I know we've spoken about this before, <laughs> but one of the key bits that I think is really important is that at the center of our strategy sits our commitment to energize and empower colleagues. We may have a central team but it's everyone's responsibility to contribute so we're committed to continue building internal learning programs and really increasing our ESG capabilities as an organization. Climate change is something that affects all of us and it's a great motivator to be able to use our financial expertise to tackle the greatest challenge of our time but we need to support our teams to do so. Absolutely Bradley it's all incredibly important impressive, particularly how broad the RBS International strategy is and how committed you are to helping all businesses, be it funds, which probably take up more of the headlines, but the SMEs as well, and the internal aspect. It really is you know, incredibly impressive to hear about it. So one thing that sort of was talked about a few years ago was, was more, it's a trade-off, isn't it? ESG or profit. I don't think that's the case anymore. And having said that, though, currently pursuing an ESG strategy is profitable. 
A quick example is we understand the S&P ESG indices outperform their non-ESG counterparts. And in some ways, the real test will come when this ceases to be the case, i.e. when having an ESG focus isn't so profitable. However, I don't think, and I'm, I suspect you're going to agree with me, that this, this doesn't capture the mood when it comes to ESG concerns, which just seems to transcend profit nowadays. The FT recently reported that social responsibility has displaced the supremacy of shareholders. So do you think that this is correct, that businesses across the board will remain committed to their ESG agenda in the same way that RBS International has? I think it's an incredibly interesting question. And, and we think about the longevity of ESG a fair amount, as you'd expect with, with our day jobs. But for me, I think the spotlight will inevitably fade. So there is a huge focus on ESG at the moment. As an industry, we're used to cyclical behavior, but the development of the regulation we're experiencing will project its longevity. Aside from that, taking a step back, you can see across the market that individuals are positively responding to the opportunity to deliver social environmental growth alongside financial performance. And we're really seeing the next generation of leaders living and breathing ESG. So I'm optimistic that regulation won't be the only force here in terms of keeping ESG at the forefront of our industry. You mentioned there that sometimes it is considered as a, a kind of trade-off in terms of cost. And I think that point is one that we need to move past. And I think the industry is. One of the main changes we've seen over the last year is that investors are the ones really pushing here. They're scrutinizing ESG strategies to a greater degree than ever before. And so our customers across the corporate and fund space are facing material investor demand to demonstrate those tangible actions. We've made a number of commitments in terms of finance submissions and our, our peers are doing the same. They're really looking at what is the impact of our lending decisions. And so when we're talking about cost, I think one of the main points that we often share is this idea of cost of capital. Ultimately, banks and their appetites are going to start incorporating climate risk as we're being told to, but also we want to. And so when it comes to institutions and counterparties that are laggards in the ESG space, they're going to find it difficult and more expensive to be able to get the capital that they need. And so when you're looking at that cost trade-off, ultimately, long-term, that there, of course, is an investment up front, but over time, we expect that to pay off. And as you said, the data continues to support that. Yeah, that's fantastic. It's so good to hear that you sort of want to incorporate these considerations, not not just that you have to. And I think you're right, that's that feels like the trajectory that we're all going on. So crystal ball section, and, and to an extent, you've, you've kind of already answered this, but um, if we are talking to you in 12 months time about ESG, while the sort of spotlight may not be quite as focused as it is at the moment, though it's it's been there for a good 18 months now, I would say, how do you think this conversation will be going? What do you think we will be talking about? I think for me, we're really seeing that regulators and market participants have, have quite rightly focused on carbon. But for me, I'd really like to see that greater emphasis placed on further environmental issues. We're seeing the thinking around biodiversity really to come out. David Attenborough is doing great work there. And we've got further elements that we want to bring out and, and really focus on once beyond carbon. Um, but alongside that, I think we need to bring in the social more. I think it's easier with environmental factors at this point. But actually, if we look at the response in the, if you look in the bond market during COVID-19, actually social bonds really took off. And I think we need to start seeing the E and the S working closer together. We often talk to our customers about how they can consider across all three aspects of ESG. Um, but fundamentally, they, they work hand in hand. So we need to start considering them together. Otherwise, we, we risk those unintended consequences when you're focusing on purely E, S or G. So it's really about that holistic approach beyond the, the focus on carbon that we're seeing today. No, that's brilliant. You've just made 
Alice's day mentioning biodiversity. <laughs> she has been talking about that for a very long time and I don't think it gets enough airtime in her mind. So you thank you. Thank you for that. You have really. Oh, you're very welcome. <laughs> so Bradley, do you want to tell our listeners a little bit more about where they can find out additional information on the work on ESG that RBS International are doing and your role in particular? Yes, absolutely. Your listeners can go to rbsinternational.com and to our insights page where they can find a number of articles relating to ESG and sustainability. They can also listen to me on our new ESG podcast, A Just Transition. listening to we talk banking and finance from walkers if you've enjoyed this episode please don't forget to like share and subscribe